Good morning, everyone. Up here again, doing my favorite thing, not. Okay, um, on the slideshow this morning, you're going to see um, the same thing I'm going to tell you. This Today is Giving Tuesday, and so it's a great time to come out and support Shannon's ministry, and um, she's going to tell you a little bit about another opportunity with FCA. But you can go to her website. You can text, like it says on there, or there's a giving card like this on the front counter. Taylor asked me to just share that with all of you. And then the other ways, obviously, is always pray for Shannon's ministry and, and just get involved. And somebody was asking where high school meets. Everything's on her website. If you haven't been to it, it's maryshannon.com. Everything, addresses, dates, times, and all of this information. So you've got Taylor's made it really, really easy for you guys to support Shannon's ministry in any way you can and to share that with others so they can do the same. Shannon's now going to share with you an FCA holiday surprise. Good morning. I can't get off this fast enough. <laughs> she hates that so much. Oh, my goodness. She only does it for me. I get her into a lot of things, actually. Y'all were worrying me this morning. It was so funny. About 10 till, we had about 10 people. Y'all are all last-minute people. It's kind of like church, right? They start that first praise song, and you're like, wow, it's really low today. And then by the time you hit the third praise song or the, the, the sermon, at the end, you're like, wow, it turned out to be a pretty full day, right? So I happen to be married to like a quarter-after kind of guy. And, uh, and so we've had to work that out. Uh, do any of you hate to be late? I can't stand it, okay? And my mother is uh, even worse, right? She wants to be there at least 15, 20 minutes early, but I can't stand to be late. And so I told Rob right off the bat, I said, we got to work on this. I go, because I cannot, I said, this is what I don't want to do. See, you think getting to church on time is getting to the parking lot on time. That's not it. Because then my stomach is already in a knot because I'm mad because I love worship. We're about to miss first song. And then we shut the door, and, and I'm like sprinting to get to church. I don't have time to get a coffee or anything or say hello to anyone. And we run in, and we get there by the second song, and I'm just like, oh, I said. So when I say I want to get to church, what I mean is I want to pull up calm. I want to walk and hold hands. And look at the beautiful church that we're a member of and see the kids playing out in the thing. And we get in line and have a coffee and say hi to everybody. And we walk in. To me, that's getting to church, right? And so, uh, but trust me, most of my life, it's been this, this right here. Trying, get out of the car. Let's go. Get Love Jesus and stop fighting and all that good stuff. So anyway, but I'm glad y'all are here. I'm sorry that I had to... Um, call it off uh, right before Thanksgiving. Um, we're fine. Uh, my daughter was in a, a bad spot. And so when that happens, my family comes first. So I was traveling in Florida and got the phone call, which is a trigger to me. And um, so I came home and we just gathered ourselves together and um, Hillary and Ben came and uh, stayed with us for a little while and we got her back on her feet and so our life is an ebb and flow of that kind of stuff so we're good and yes mother yeah my mom said thank you to all the people who called her to make sure that she and my dad were okay <laughs> I know there's really no good way to put it out there because when I say it's like a family thing, and I would too, everybody starts to worry and to figure out so uh, what it is. But I just needed to focus on her and pay attention to her. So when I flew in from Florida, I was like, well, I could wait and see and try to study on Monday. And I'm like, why am I doing that? You're not going to get the best of me because I'm so distracted. So it was uh, nice, and she's back on her feet and doing good. We had like mental health retreat at mom's house, and they moved in with us, and I filled her with good stuff. We binged The Chosen. 
you know, and we did that and we got up in the mornings and I read the Bible to her outside. It was beautiful. And we went to, uh, and, and did the work that we needed to do. And so it was awesome. It's interesting because I wasn't in a great place either. It's a hard time of year, but isn't it interesting that when your babies uh, struggle, you forget about your struggle and you go into mom mode and you're like, I got this. And that, I'm so glad God made us that way, you know. Um, so anyway, so we're okay. But the other opportunity for you to give and be a part is pretty sweet. Um, if you could find that slide with those t-shirts. So Fellowship of Christian Athletes, I don't know if you've seen these t-shirts that say Jesus won. And it, it's a really interesting thing. I don't have all the details about it, exactly how it got started. But there was a baseball player who had on the FCA shirt, Jesus won, and he got called up to the bigs. And when he did, and he did his workout with them, it was put out, obviously, in the news and social media, and he had on the Jesus won shirt, and it just went viral. Everybody was like, where did he get that shirt? And it became a deal. And so then FCA found themselves in an opportunity where people were buying this shirt and the money, the proceeds were coming back to FCA, Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And so it was a great thing. So Matt Palmer, who is a really good friend of mine, and he's the area director, and he was super close with my son. He said, Shannon, I've got an idea because we would love to be able to benefit other ministries with what's going on with this shirt. And so he, what they did is they designed a Christmas version just for us. Okay, so these Christmas t-shirts that say Jesus won and sweatshirts, they've been designed just for Mary Shannon Ministries. And so if you, I want to encourage you to buy one, give them as gifts. Like it's a deal out there. So like your grandkids, your kids, all of that to buy these t-shirts. And what they've done is they're going to take half um, and give half of it to Mary Shannon Ministries, which will help cover our child care expense and the other half is going to be given to the Zach Hoffpower scholarship that FCA set up when Zach passed away for kids to go to FCA camp in the summer okay so this is really a good thing so you can get online um, FCA it well it's right there you can go to that and order the Christmas shirts or sweatshirts and just know that half goes to Mary Shannon Ministries and half goes to the Zach Hoffpower scholarship for FCA camp really cool thing so um, I just wanted to put that out there um, is there anything else y'all need to know for me as far as announcements go our last, uh, right before Christmas break, I believe that Tuesday's the 12th is, the, is our last one, but go online and make sure about that. Um, I was in North Carolina recently. Um, I spoke at a women's event in North Carolina, and it was so awesome. I fell in love with the women there. Um, but I have to tell you all, we stayed in the most unique place. I, I should put it on social media so you could see it but they had told me that they were going to put me up in like this treehouse type resort okay and so for the first time Rob went with me on a, on a trip so he he went to the entire women's event he was you know everybody loved him he worked my table like it was a deal but it was so fun especially with the weeks you know we'd had I had to leave Hillary again and so it was cool not to be by myself and y'all, we stayed in this thing. The name of it is called The Hobbit House. And I love Lord of the Rings, okay? I love it. Zach and I used to watch Lord of the Rings like crazy, and I would pause it and tell him all the symbolism from Lord of the Rings, and, and we would talk about it. But it was literally like I was living in the Shire. It was a Hobbit house. It round door, round windows. It was amazing. And so here we were. I, I FaceTimed Hillary and Ben. I'm like, I'm living in the Shire. So every night I'd go, let's go to bed, Bilbo Baggins. It's, you know, I mean, like, it was so cool. So it was uh, a great women's retreat, and I loved it. But I'll, I'll try to put the pictures on there. If you ever go to uh, North Carolina, I'll tell you where you can actually stay at, at the Hobbit House or in the tree houses. So it was fun. What city was I in? I knew you were about to ask me that. Well, it was right outside of Charlotte. Um, oh, 
I can't rem I can't remember. Where was I? No. I'll think of it. I don't remember because my brain's dead this morning. But I'll think of what it was. It it was literally right at like Landis. Is that a place? I don't My mom's always asking me where I'm going to when I speak. I go, I don't know. I get off the airplane, I get in a car, and I go where I'm supposed to go. So I don't know. Okay, are y'all ready? Open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 4, and let me pray for us. Lord, thank you so much for this morning. I thank you for your word. It's, it's the anchor to my soul. God, I thank you that you are the same yesterday, today, and forevermore, that I can count on you. Um, you are good, and you love me, and that never changes. And God, I thank you that the power of the Holy Spirit is so powerful that Lord, not only do I know I'm never alone, but you are always teaching me. You're always pouring into me, um, even through great suffering. And so, God, I pray that you would be powerful today, that you would speak to the women today exactly where they are, um, and that we would have a boldness that we cannot even explain when we step up to give an account of who Jesus is and who he is in our lives. And more importantly, I pray that our life exemplifies who Jesus is to us and to the world. And so God, um, just teach us today. I sure love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Acts chapter 4. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name do you do this? Do you remember what they've done? And it's been two weeks. They healed the man. Do you remember? Okay. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by, wh by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus." But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them. Because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voice together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said to the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. 
For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and the signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to them was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the re- of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet and was distributed to each as any had need. Thus, Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Acts chapter 4. <laughs> All right. What was the response of the message preached at, at the, after the healing of this man? What was the response? Well, the response of the people were that many did what? They believed. But the response of the religious establishment was what? They were annoyed. Highly annoyed. Wouldn't it be simply great news to know that God was alive and well and was providing a rescue operation through the chosen Messiah, whom they killed but God raised from the dead? What what was the message? You rejected him. You handed him over. You killed him. Oh, but God what? Raised him. God raised him from the dead. They are saying that Jesus is the first fruit of the great resurrection to come. And what is the, what is the gospel? And even after all of that, you still have an opportunity to what? To believe. You have that opportunity to believe. Even now, he is available to you. This is what you've done. But this is what God has done. And even now, no matter that you have arrested him, handed him over, beaten him, nailed him to a cross, and he was put in a grave, even, I mean, what worse could you do? Even now, salvation is available to you because what? You did this, but God raised him from the dead, and salvation is available to you. In Jesus, they were preaching the resurrection of the dead. Look at, look at that verse. Resurrection is in Jesus. They are saying that only Jesus is the way to salvation. There is no other name by which man may be saved. That was their message that they were preaching. And they were annoyed. Why? Why were they annoyed? They didn't believe it. And if it is true, what does it mean for them? Because they already hold the power in this kingdom. They were in charge of the central institution that administered the law or God's justice. And they were able to control basically the lives of the people. In Jesus, if he was going to usher in a different kind of kingdom, what, were that, what was the issue? They may find themselves at the bottom. Do you remember when we talked about Matthew 26 and they were saying, are you the Christ? And he said, you say so, right? But what I say is from this moment on, you will see the son of man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of glory. Do you remember that whole uh, lesson that I've taught you before? The fact that he just referred to himself as the son of man from Daniel chapter seven. And what was Daniel seven about? 
It was about the beasts, the kingdoms of the world, but that one day, one like the Son of Man would rise up and be presented to the Ancient of Days, and he would be given dominion, he would be worshipped, and he would be given a kingdom, right? And so the point to them was this, you've become the beast. You've built an earthly empire. Jerusalem has become Babylon, You've built an earthly empire and you have done it by walking over the weak and the poor of spirit, right? And so what they're annoyed by is that they are here, they are preaching that Jesus is the Christ, that he is raised from the dead, that he is the first fruit of the great resurrection and that he is ushered in a kingdom. And it is blowing their mind because if, if his kingdom is real, they may end up where? at the bottom. And so the Sadducees, you need to understand these different groups because they're all present here. Okay. We have the high priestly family, which is the Sadducees. All right. And the Sadducees are basically the Jewish aristocrats, including the high priest and his family. And they, I mean, they were the most powerful. They guarded the temple. They oversaw all of the sacrifice that was going on. They were over um, the temple guards. And they were much more about politics than they were religion. The Romans, anytime the Romans needed to address the Jewish people, they would have met with who? The Sadducees, the high priestly family. And so they were much more political. They did not believe in the resurrection from the dead. They did not believe in a spiritual realm. They believed in the here and now and, and the power of politics of that day, of, of an earthly kingdom. And to be quite honest, they didn't mess with Jesus a whole lot until the end. Because until it became a thing that would cause an issue with the Romans, they didn't get involved. Jesus dealt mostly with which group? The Pharisees. Because they were the religious ones. They were the ones actually that balked most against the Romans because they were all about the law. And they did believe in the resurrection and they did believe in a spiritual realm. Why do you think that is? Because they believed that obedience to the law brought blessing that there would be a great judgment one day, right? And so how did they think they would end up from that? Good, because they looked forward to that because they were the keeper of the law. But why did they despise Jesus so much? Because he pre... Are y'all awake this morning? You sure? You look a little sleepy. Is it all the turkey and all that stuff that was happening? Okay. Uh, what did they expect? They expect a great judgment in the end where they would end up blessed and on top of that kind of kingdom. So don't you think it blew their mind when Jesus said, unless you are born again, you will not see that kingdom? I mean, think how many things he said to them that angered them, right? Oh, just because you're sons of Abraham does not mean that you're going to see the kingdom. Because if you are truly the sons of Abraham, you would know me because he knew me. And do you remember what he said next? Matter of fact, you're doing the things your father did, and your father is the devil. Yikes, right? So here, you, he's basically saying to the Sadducees, you found yourself with power in the wrong kingdom. And he's saying to the Pharisees, you believed in another kingdom, but you're not going to see it, Right? So this, these are the people that now Peter and John have been called into. And what did they do to Jesus? They killed him. Uh, this is no little thing that is happening to Peter and John. This is a very intimidating situation because they just watched them 
beat Jesus beyond recognition and hang him on a cross. And now they are standing in front of the exact same people and they are being asked to stop preaching and they are preaching a new kingdom Jesus' same message, and they're showing that you killed him, but God raised him. You can't stop this. He has ushered in a new kingdom, and there is no other way to be saved. He is the Messiah. Whew. In Jesus is the resurrection. They questioned the disciples. How did you do this? What are they talking about? The healing. How did you do this? What power did you, did you use? In whose name did you invoke such a healing? And what did they say? Jesus of Nazareth, whom you crucified. Okay, this is no little thing. Do you remember in Luke eleven fourteen? if you go back and look at that, Jesus healed. And do you remember how they said, he, in what name do you do this? He's healing in the name of Beelzebub. Do you remember that? Uh, that story, and he's like, that doesn't make any sense. I'm going to cast out a demon in the name of Beelzebub. You know, a, a kingdom divided cannot stand. Why, why would that be? And they're inquiring basically the same way. And then it says this, Peter, and here's the key word, filled with the Holy Spirit, had incredible boldness. And he says this, this man stands before you fit and well, because of the name of the Christ, of Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. And then he says this, he is the stone which you builders rejected, but which has become the cornerstone or the headstone. Do you remember how all through this, I've been showing you the code of the Old Testament that is all through it? Do you remember? I know it's been a while. Okay, we're going to look at it. But if you remember, right, Peter has stood up and he, I mean, his first message was based on three Old Testament scriptures from Joel and two Psalms. You remember that? Then he gets up and he uses all kinds of code and he brings up Isaiah and he brings up Moses and he brings up Samuel and he brings up the prophets and all of these are pointing. He's showing this is Jesus, this is Jesus. And he's just done it again because now he has called him the stone that the builders rejected, that he is the cornerstone. All right, I want to show you some scripture. You ready? Because he is speaking Old Testament to people who are fluent in Old Testament. So let's, let's look at some of them. Let's look at Psalm 118. Because that's what he's quoting. I've talked to you about Psalm 118 before. Because it is in Psalm 118 that they quoted in the triumphal entry. This is a messianic psalm. I'm going to start with uh, verse 19. Open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us, we pray, O Lord. We pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God. He has made his light to shine upon us. Bind the festal sacrifice with cords up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God. I will extol you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. What were they shouting at the triumphal entry? Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They were saying that Jesus was their Messiah and they were waving palm branches. This is a messianic psalm talking about 
He is our success. He is on our side. He is the Messiah, and he's called the gate. Do you remember Jesus in his parables? I am the door. I am the gate. And here it says that he is a stone, a foundation stone, a cornerstone, and this new kingdom will be built on him that the builders rejected. That's what he quoted. And so think about it. They have just seen the triumphal entry. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And now Peter is saying he is the stone that you builders have rejected. I also want you to see Isaiah 28. I'm going to read it to you in the message. This is a prophecy warning the people of a judgment to come that would be at the hand of the Assyrians, okay, back in the day. Do you remember the divided kingdom of Israel after the, after the monarchy? Do you remember that? Saul, David, Solomon, good job. After that, the kingdom was divided. The ten northern tribes kept the name Israel, and the two southern tribes of Judah and Benjamin took on the name of Judah. And if you remember, they're not following the law, and so God allows um, other kingdoms to come in as his hand of judgment. And this is Isaiah warning them of the judgment to come that is going to happen with the Assyrians. And the Assyrians are going to come in and demolish the 10 tribes and scatter them all over the known empire. Okay. But you have to understand that when Peter is calling him the stone, the cornerstone that the builders rejected, the foundation stone, he is speaking in their language. It's like me starting the verse of a praise song and you being able to what? Finish it. Okay, so their minds are going back to these places. So let me read you Isaiah 28 because by using this, he's taking them back to this situation. Judgment is coming. Doomed to the pretentious drunks of Ephraim. Now remember, I'm reading the message, so don't look for these words and freak out. Because my mom is like, that is not what my, mine is saying, right? Shabby and washed out and seedy. Tipsy, sloppy, fat, beer-bellied parodies of a proud and handsome past. Watch closely. God has someone picked out. Someone tough and strong to flatten them. Like a hailstorm, like a hurricane, like a flash flood. One-handed, he'll throw them to the ground. Samaria, the party had on Israel's head, will be knocked off with one blow. It will disappear quicker than a piece of meat tossed to a dog. At that time, God of the angel army will be the beautiful crown on the head of what's left of his people. Energy and insights of justice to those who guide and decide strength and prowess to those who guard and protect. These also, the priests and prophets, stagger from drink. Weaving, falling down drunks, besotted with wine and whiskey, can't see straight, can't talk sense. Every table is covered with vomit. They live in vomit. Is that so? And who do you think you are to teach us? Who are you to lord it over us? We're not babies in diapers to be talked down to by such as you, da, 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 blah, blah, blah. That's a good little girl. That's a good little boy. But that's exactly how you will be addressed. God will speak to this people in baby talk one syllable at a time, and he'll do it through a foreign oppressor. He said this before. This is the time and place to rest, to give rest to the weary. This is the place to lay down your burden, but they wouldn't listen. What was the promised land supposed to be? Place of rest, fruitfulness. So God will start over with the simple basics and address them in baby talk one syllable at a time, da, 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 blah, blah, blah. That's a good little girl. That's a good little boy. And like toddlers, they will get up and fall down, get bruised and confused and lost. Now listen to God's message, you scoffers, you who rule this people in Jerusalem. You say, we've taken out good life insurance. We've hedged all of our bets, covered all of our bases. No disaster can touch us. We've thought of everything. We're advised by the experts we're set. But the master God has something to say to this. Watch closely. I'm laying a foundation in Zion, 
a solid granite foundation, squared and true. That's the cornerstone in your version. The cornerstone of the building, he is saying, the one I'm going to set as the foundation is perfectly square. It is perfectly solid. It is righteous. It is true. And this is the meaning of the stone. I'll make justice the measuring stick and righteousness the plumb line for the building. A hailstorm will knock down the shanty towns of lies and a flash flood will wash out the rubble. Then you'll see that your precious life insurance policy wasn't worth the paper it was written on. Your careful precautions against death were a pack of illusions and lies. When the disaster happens, you'll be crushed by it. Every time disaster comes, you'll be in on it. Disaster in the morning, disaster at night. Every report of disaster will send you cowering in terror. There will be no place where you can rest, nothing to hide under. God will rise to full stature, raging as he did long ago in Mount Perizim and in the valley of Gibeon against the Philistines. But this time, it's against you. Hard to believe, but true. Not what you'd expect, but it's coming. Sober up, friends, and don't scoff. Scoffing will just make it worse. I've heard the orders issued for destruction, orders for God of the angel army ending up in an international disaster. Listen to me now. Give me your closest attention. Do farmers plow and plow and do nothing but plow? Or harrow and harrow and do nothing but harrow? After they've prepared the ground, don't they plant? Don't they scatter deal and spread cumin, plant wheat and barley in the fields and raspberries along the borders? They know exactly what to do and when to do it. Their God is their teacher. And at the harvest, the delicate herbs and spices, the deal and cumin are treated delicately. On the other hand, wheat is threshed and milled, but still not endlessly. The farmer knows how to treat each kind of grain. He's learned it all from the God of the angel armies who knows everything about when and how and where. Think about it. Peter has just said that Jesus is the foundation cornerstone. The one the builders rejected. He has come to preach a new kingdom. He is the first of the resurrection from the dead, the first fruits. He is seated on his throne and he is saying he is that cornerstone, that cornerstone that is true and righteous and sturdy. He's building something new and you better wake up because what you have built is false. It will not last. It will be destroyed. What do we know is coming by the way? Their temple is going to be destroyed in AD 70. Their entire religious system is going to be shut down, never to be rebuilt again. And he is saying, you have rejected the true cornerstone that has been prophesied in the prophets, in Psalm, in Isaiah, that Jesus is the cornerstone. Not to mention this. Where's another reference to stone? Come on, you know. If you were with me last year, Daniel chapter 2. Do you remember that? If you go to Daniel chapter 2, you'll be reminded that all of the empires of the world in that day were represented in a statue. Do you remember that? Right? All the different metals that they were made of, all of the empires of the world. And then what did he see in his dream? A stone not made by the hand of man right? Not carved out a natural stone. And what would that stone do? It was going to come and hit the statue at its feet and the statue would topple down and would be destroyed. And that stone would grow until a mountain filled up the whole earth. This is what's happening. Do you understand what he's saying to them? You took the Messiah and you hung him on a cross and you killed him. But even then, God raised him from the dead because he is the cornerstone of the new kingdom that will be built. And by the way, you can't stop it. Who can stop the Lord God Almighty? Not the gates of hell, right? Because there, I, on that rock, I will build my church. And you have all of this going on. And and this is so awesome because 
Hold on, let me make sure I want to tell you the next thing. Because I cannot imagine the boldness of Peter and John. Do you understand the boldness that they have right now? Who are these two? They are standing up in front of the most intimidating leadership. Not only the Sadducees who have all of the political power, but the Pharisees who believe that they are the ultimate, the keeper of all of the scriptures. And they are preaching to them like you cannot imagine. They stood in boldness together, filled with the Holy Spirit. And the religious leaders go, what is happening right now? What do they say? They're, they're completely uneducated. How, how are they literally dividing the scriptures to us, showing us these things? They are completely uneducated. And I love that because you realize that God uses both. I mean, he uses Paul who had a PhD and he used Peter who had a GED. And I am telling you, it doesn't matter, right? And what did they realize? It's because they've been with, with Jesus. They recognize that they had been with Jesus. Why? Well, they're preaching the exact same kingdom that Jesus preached. They have healing power. Their demeanor, the knowledge, they look like their rabbi. They look like him. And isn't that the point? I remember back in the day, Ray Vanderlaan wrote a whole uh, series called The Dust of the Rabbi. I love that. The fact that you follow your rabbi so closely that his dust is all over you. That they could tell that by listening to them that they had been with Jesus. Not to mention the fact that there is a healed man standing right next to them. I mean, what are you going to say about that? Is it, I mean, what are we going to do about them? This is what they said. If we punish them, what would the people think? Their message produced a miracle that is evident to everyone. Everyone knows this man. He's been a permanent fixture in that spot for 40, he's 40 years. How in the world could they ever spin it? Everybody knew him. And now he is standing up. So not only are they standing in boldness, which doesn't make any sense because they barely have a GED. They know the scripture so well, their demeanor. And now right here, and they're preaching the kingdom. They're preaching resurrection in Jesus Christ. And a man who has been crippled for 40 years is standing. What are they going to do? So let's intimidate them. Well, let's just tell them to stop. You need to stop, right? What do we do when we realize we don't have any control? We threaten, don't you? I guess I'm the only one that's ever done that. When I realize that my kids are at an age where I can't make them do what I want them to do, right? So what do you do? You get a little sterner and a little louder, and you just, because you just better do what I tell you to do, right? And then you realize you don't have control over diddly squat, right? That's it. And so that's what's happening. They really don't have control to stop this. They thought they stopped it, but they didn't. What they did is they lit a match, right? Because remember, Jesus says, you ain't seen nothing yet. You can't stop this. And so what do they do? They threaten. <laughs> so they tell them to stop. And they say to them, well, you tell us then. Is it right to listen to God? Or is it right to listen to you? What do they believe, by the way? What do the religious leaders believe? They believe they are God, pretty much. They believe they are the voice of God, um, Yet, what can they say about this healing man? And they say this, but we can't stop talking about what we have seen and heard. When we are seeing and hearing God, our response is to share it. 
For the followers, there is no silencing them. This is real. It's reality. They understand, and they can't unsee what they have seen. Do you understand that? When you are fully convinced, it does not matter what happens. You cannot unsee what you have seen. Have you ever experienced that in the scripture? Once you see it clearly, you're like, oh. And now you can't go back and unsee it. It's done. And so they're like, we can't. Verse 21 says, and when they had further threatened them, so they doubled down. They doubled down. I can't imagine what they said. So remember, we're not given everything that they say. In your mind right now, I want you to think, these are the most powerful men. And what have they just done to Jesus? What all do you think they said to them? What power did these religious leaders have over these two disciples? All power. They could have taken their lives. They could have absolutely kicked them out of any kind of temple worship. They could have ended their businesses. They, I mean, you name it, they, had, they could have threatened their families. All we know is that they doubled down and they threatened them. But at the end of the day, their hands were tied because of the people. Because the people were rejoicing over this man that everyone knew and seemed to love. This healing had to be from God, so how could they oppose it? Because it didn't come through them? That wouldn't give a good message. And in my notes, this is my favorite line, I put LOL, LOL. <laughs> Don't you love that? <laughs> I put a big old star. Jesus is still doing his thing. Healing the paralyzed and paralyzing the religious leaders. He's just doing it now through the apostles. Isn't that awesome? That's what he did. Jesus released the paralyzed. And what he does is he paralyzes the religious leaders. He gets, they always tried to set traps and they could never get him. But he always paralyzed them. Because what are they going to say? What are they going to do? There is a man who was crippled for 40 years, and now he is standing there. So not only are they speaking the truth of the resurrection of Jesus and that salvation is available, but they have a visual aid standing right next to them. So what can they do about it? They are paralyzed, so they threaten. Verse 23 says, After this, they left. And they went to their friends and they reported everything the religious leaders had said. Here's what I think happened. Have you ever, this just hop our right in pencil, okay, in your head. This is just my thoughts. Can, have you ever been in a situation where you had total boldness in the moment? But then when you walked out, all of it fell on you? Boy, I have, right? Where I've even come in shaky. Like, I, I will tell you one time I was dealing with uh, anxiety. Um, I've had maybe three or four bouts of that where it, it was crippling. And I was like, oh my gosh, like, what is this? You don't know if it's like mental. You don't know if it's physical. You don't know if it's spiritual. You just know that you're a hot mess and you're coming out of your skin and it's awful. And one of those times I uh, had to go to California to speak at CCV youth camp. Okay, that's no little thing. I mean, you're speaking to 4,000 teenagers. You better be on your game, okay? I, I'd, I could speak to you guys, but 4,000 teenagers, you're trying to, you know, keep their attention and say something, you know, that they need or whatever. And I was in the throes of anxiety. And the night before, I was staying at, in a dorm room. I think they were at Biola that year, wherever. And I was alone in a dorm room fighting anxiety all night long about going and doing this. And it didn't make any logical sense because I had done this how many times, okay? But I was coming undone. And I remember thinking, I can't do this. For the first time in my life, I thought, I'm not going to be able to do it. I've never, not, I've never had to say, no, I can't do it. I, and I was like, I am going to get up on that stage, and I'm just going to rock back and forth and suck my thumb. I don't know what's going to I'm going to like, have a heart attack. 
And I just prayed, and I literally just trusted God. And I walked up on that stage in that huge arena, and nobody had any idea how I felt inside. And I started, and when my mouth opened, I could feel the Holy Spirit in me, and my body was doing something without me. It was like an out-of-body experience where I was watching myself do what I was called to do, but I was out here. And I remember being done, and it was powerful, and it, it was good. And I walked off the stage thinking, okay, maybe that's, you know, that's what it was. I, I, I'm good now. And I walked off the stage, and the minute I walked off the stage and sat down, it was like, right back. And I thought, wow, how can that be? And then I fought through it. I, I fought. It was like the second time I'd ever really experienced that kind of anxiety. But I can't imagine you have the boldness in the moment because God is speaking through you. But when you walk away from that moment sometimes, the heaviness of what the situation is, is still there. And so what did they do? They went to their people. And I wrote in my notes, faith does not mean we have no fear. It just means that we choose faith over fear. It doesn't mean that we're not afraid, that we don't have fear. But it means that we choose to trust despite the fear. And that we need our community to strengthen us. And in verse 24, it says, when they heard, they lifted their voices together and they did what? They prayed, right? They prayed. They worshiped. The first reaction might have been fear, but the response was prayer. And they say, they call him. Did you see? I think it's in verse, let me find it. In verse 24, it says, When they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of your father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit. And then they quote Psalm 2, which we're going to look at. But do you realize that they called him what? What name? Sovereign Lord, who made the heavens and the earth. That means they reminded themselves of the proper perspective. Do you remember the story of the 12 spies? You remember? They've been in the wilderness and they get to a place called uh, Kadesh Barnea. And and from there, they send the 12 spies into the promised land, right? To check it out. See, is it really a land flowing with milk and honey, right? So they send these 12 spies and they come back. And remember, they're coming back holding some big old uh, clusters of grapes, like on big old sticks between two people. Like, it's a land flowing with milk and honey. They've been in the desert. Can you imagine? You've been eating manna for a year. And now you've got a big old grape. Look at Like, this is sweet. This place is awesome. But what happens? Do you remember? The ten spies come to them and say, there's no way. We can't, it is, it's awesome, but we can't take it because all the cities are fortified and the land is what? Filled with giants. Boy, fear's an exaggerator, isn't it? Have you ever had anxiety like that where the fear just puffs it up so much it exaggerates the situation? That's what bullies do too, by the way, right? They exaggerate it and they're like, oh, it's filled with giants. There's no way we can take it. And you remember Caleb and Joshua, the two faithful spies? They're like, what are you talking about? Where have you been? Were you not in Egypt with me? Do you not recall what God did for us by his mighty right hand? That Egypt, the world power, we walked out, an entire slave community, their economy walked out free And when we looked in our rearview mirror, it looked like an atomic bomb went off there. Do you not recall the, what? What was next? The Red Sea that he parted and the fact that he's provided. If God says this is our land and he will give it in our hands, he will give it into our hands. And what happened? They doubled down. No way, we can't take it. 
compared to the people in the land, we look like grasshoppers. Well, that's the problem. Your perspective is wrong, right? Because you are comparing us to the giants in the land, and we look like grasshoppers. But Joshua and Caleb, what were they saying? Oh, no. Compared to the giants, look at God. Compared to God, guess who looks like the grasshoppers? The giants. See, when we look at our problems and what's going on in our life, we would compare it to ourselves. I look like a grasshopper. It's too big. I can't, can't handle it. But when we look at the situation and we compare it to the sovereign God who made the heavens and the earth, and we're walking in his will, we can trust. And this is what they had the proper perspective. And look what they do. I love it. Everything is bathed in scripture here. They quote Psalm 2. So let's read it. Why do you think they quoted Psalm 2? What do you think they've been doing? Do you not remember? When they came to know the Lord, they dedicated themselves what? To being learners. To being disciples. They're spending time now in the word with that new perspective. And here's what they quoted. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with the rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. What are they? Remember how I told you the, psalm teaches, the Psalms teach us how to pray. They've been spending time in the Psalms. And so when they came and their two buddies came and were filled probably with fear from all of the threats, they began to pray this Psalm. And they had proper perspective that God is, that Jesus was seated on his throne. And that all of the rulers of the earth can plot all they want against him, but what? Who can stop the Lord Almighty? And they go on in verse 27 saying that the Gentiles, they, they list, you know, Herod and Pilate and the Gentiles and the people of Israel. Everybody was against Jesus, against your holy anointed servant. But then they go on to say in, uh, let me find it. In verse 27, for truly in this city, they were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel to do whatever your hand and your plan had been predestined to take place. So what do they remind themselves of? God is absolutely in control. It is his plan, and it is, this was all predestined. Nothing is taking him by surprise. He said, they said to do what your plan had pre predestined to take place. You knew. They're reminding that nobody took Jesus' life from him. What happened? He laid it down, right? Do you remember when, uh, I think in John 19, was it Pilate that said, do you understand who you're talking to, like, I have the power to take your life. You remember what Jesus said? You don't have any power unless the Father has granted it to you. 
And so this has all been part of God's plan. They are reminding themselves in their fear. They had great boldness and they spoke up. They knew the scripture. Like Mr. GED had his PhD when he was talking to the leaders. And he is pointing back to their very scripture, telling them who Jesus is in the boldest of ways. And when he walks out, probably a little wobbly at the end of that, his people who have been spending time in the scripture give him proper perspective that God is on the throne, that all of this is predestined in God's plan, that the rulers of the earth can plot and plan all they want, but God is in control. And they have proper perspective. And it says, And now, Lord, please give us boldness in spite of such threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word in boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal. I love that. They didn't ask for protection. They didn't ask that the persecution, what? Stop. Because what do we know? It's not going to. It's not going to. It's what the beasts do. When you go and preach a different kingdom and you live out a different kingdom, it is going to come in conflict with the earthly kingdom, and there will be persecution. They don't ask to be saved. Why? They know exactly what they've gotten into. They watch Jesus, and he has told them, if you follow me, what will happen? Same thing. Your crosses are coming. This whole prosperity gospel junk We are not promised blessing on this earth. We're actually promised what? Suffering, right? Because we are helping usher in a new kingdom. One day Jesus will come and make it all whole. But until then, we are living counterculture. And when we do that and we preach a different message, there is going to be persecution. And so you know what they ask for? Not freedom from that or freedom from suffering, but what? Boldness to continue doing what they are doing. That's what they ask for. And then they say, not only give us boldness to continue, but would you continue to stretch out your hand to heal? Who do they give all of the glory to? Who's doing the healing? God. Who's doing the preaching? God, but through them. And isn't that the entire theme of Acts? Acts, if you remember when we first started, I told you it should be named Acts of Jesus through the apostles, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Why did Jesus say, you ain't seen nothing yet? Because he, in his death and resurrection, he was the first fruit of a new kingdom. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, we became alive as his disciples, and we become like him, and now there are Jesuses going out through all of the nations, and how in the world can that be stopped? They ask for boldness to continue what they are doing. And that is awesome. Here's my last statement because I'm over. They say, give us strength and boldness in face of persecution. We see two things working hand in hand here, prayer and scripture. I love this quote. You pray in the right way when you pray scripturally. You study the scripture in a right way when you study prayerfully. This is what they are doing. They had been reflecting on the scriptures. And now as they began to pray, the scriptures rose up in them and they found themselves talking to God in his own words. Think how far they've come. Eight weeks ago, they had no idea. They had no idea. Eight weeks ago. And now look what they are doing. They are in that scripture with a new perspective. And I'm going to show you. And they are studying that scripture. And now what happens when they pray what's coming out of them? That scripture. It has to be together. Because remember when we say, when you ask anything in my name, I will give it to you. How are you going to know in my name? 
Because when we're in that scripture, praying through that scripture, those words come out in us and we become one. And then our mind is God's mind and our heart, God's heart. And he will give us boldness to do that. What you need to see is that God came to establish a new kingdom. This is called the tale of two kingdoms. Are you a citizen of the heavenly kingdom? Is, is that our, our priority? Because Christmas is coming. And Christmas is the day what? Our king was born. And, and we're going to look at that. Do you have the boldness? And the fa- First off, do you ever get persecuted? Or is life so comfortable and easy that nobody can tell that you are in a different kingdom? I mean, what happened to her? Oh, she was with, she's been with Jesus. They can tell by how you speak, how you pray, and how you love and live. And that is what we're to do. And we're going to look that, man, there is no stopping this. And we're going to see that this kingdom, this salvation, it affected how they spoke, it affected how they prayed, and it affected how they lived. We are going to see an example of what the first followers of Jesus looked like. All right, you ready? Have you all had your face in the book lately? Yeah? You've been reading Acts? Yes? I thought uh, the service, I, I don't know if you all go to CCV, but I thought it was really good this weekend, and I think gratitude is key for sure. And so uh, keep your face in that book. And yeah, remind yourself what, just of all the gratitude that we have. Let me pray. Lord, thank you so much for today. I thank you for your word. God, may I be in it. It is the words of life. When I'm not, my perspective is off. And when my perspective is off, fear can just overcome you. Let us focus on uh, your kingdom, our purpose, that we have a glorious hope in Christ Jesus and in him alone. He is the first fruit of the great resurrection. He is our hope that one day God's space and man's space will become one. He is the cornerstone, and we're a part of that. We're a part of the building. We're building something great, the kingdom of God. And we long for it as we look out throughout this earth and we see the beasts raging. We have a choice every day. Jesus of Nazareth or Jesus Barabbas. Will we pull our sword or will we pick a cross and lay down our life? God, may we love like you and forgive like you. Pray like you and walk like you. Live in a relationship with the Father. Lord, we can only do that through the power of the Holy Spirit. May it be real. And may this season we focused on you and you the most, you alone. We sure love you. In Jesus' name, amen.